Thank you all. That's a lot of prep there. Thank you, Joey. Got all my drinks. I got everything except my whiskey, right? Yeah. Well, it's December. Are you ready for Christmas? It is here. Yeah. Let's celebrate. I like Garfield's view of it. I'm feeling all Christmassy, John says. I know it's catching. How Christmassy are you all feeling this year and this season? In fact, what gives you that Christmas feeling? Just popcorn it with me. Shout out something that gives you a Christmas feeling. Family? Christmas tree? Music? What was that? Mariah Carey. Nisi, what movie did we see the other night, our first Christmas movie of the season? Bruce Willis? I forgot how Christmassy Die Hard really was, but we were so into the spirit of Christmas after watching that. It was so good. Well, we are trying to capture that Christmas feeling in this series uh, that we're doing this year, and we're calling this series A Cozy Christmas or A High V. Is that what that means? Is that a grocery store holiday? Hige? So we know what a cozy is. We're not sure what that second word is. It uh, describes the word holiday. That word is pronounced huga, and it's a Danish word, and that's very key. Uh, Denmark has ranked in the last several years as one or two of the happiest places on the planet. Now, that's understandable in some way because... Uh, Denmark has government programs and policies that provide a support system. They, they provide health care and education and uh, child care. And all of those provisions reduces anxiety and uncertainty. So it's not surprising that they're ranked so high on the happiness scale. But there's one overlooked ingredient for their happiness, and that is huga. It literally means well-being. Uh, some etymologists, people who study words, say that it's from a Norwegian word, huga. And yes, we get from that our word hug. So whenever you hug someone, you are practicing huga. And all species, it seems like, gets into the hugging world. I do encourage hugging. There are some benefits physically, emotionally, and mentally for that. And huga is kind of like hugging without touching. Huga is providing those, that environment that gives you that sense of coziness, of warmth, and of well-being. So in this series, we're going to look at a few of the characteristics of a Danish huga uh, Christmas that hopefully will translate into our own spirits and will give us a huga, not just a Christmas but a huga kind of life. Now, the most prominent aspect of a huga holiday uh, are lights. They are main, mainly the, the main feature in a, uh, a Danish huga Christmas celebration. Now, when I say lights, I'm not talking about the zillion of lights that Silver Dollar City has, but what creates the sense of well-being and comfort and warmth is a single candle, or just having your room lit by candles. In fact, when Danes are asked what they most associate with huga, 85% of them say it's all about the candle. Candlelight dinner. I look so much better at a candlelight dinner 
So we love candlelight dinners at our house. So there's no way, they say, the Danish people say, to move into that huga experience, uh, no faster way than to light a few candles in your home. So let's think about light and about the Christmas story. Uh, lights are the star of the Christmas story, and that's no pun intended. It goes back to the prophet, oh, I forgot this. So I try to pronounce that word. The, the word that uh, for a, a person in, De- in Denmark that is a spoil sport is, if I'm pronouncing this right, Elises Luker. And that means he who puts out the candles. So a spoil sport in our life is someone who puts out our light, who creates just discomfort in us, takes the warmth away and gives it cold. So let's look at some of the lights that we see in Christmas. The prophet Isaiah says this, that the people are walking in darkness, but they've seen a great light, and it's on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And if you follow the rest of chapter 9 of that prophet, uh, it's uh, where we read these words, for unto us a child is born, and a son is delivered, and, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And so... Christians have, for centuries, interpreted Isaiah's prophecy as being concerning the birth uh, of Jesus. But there's a sense of living in darkness and needing a light to come into our life. Go to Luke's story. And before we get to Luke 2, you have Luke 1. And Luke 1 is the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth, who had a son named John the Baptist. John the Baptist was cousin to Jesus. Elizabeth and Mary were cousins, the moms. And uh, Zechariah, uh, the, the father of John the Baptist, has this vision, and he writes a poem. And in that poem, he talks about the coming Messiah. And he says this Messiah, this individual, the purpose is to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. I I love for us to keep that as a focus. Whatever light we follow in life, ask ourselves, does this path lead to peace? Is this way of living, is this way of thinking going to result in peace? Not just peace of cessation of war, but the shalom peace of the Hebrew Old Testament of uh, well-being for all people. I think that the Probably the most common light that we think of in the Christmas story is the light of the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Well, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. I don't know really the factuality of that star, and that to me is not a big deal. What I do know is that the Matthew told this story, and he creates this light that is, is as precise as a GPS because it follows Jesus, and it stops right at the point where Jesus is, where the place where Jesus is. And so the star of Matthew is a, a main character in this story of Jesus as we think of the light. The most common gospel writer... Uh, the most well-known gospel writer of the story of Jesus' birth is Luke. 
And in that story of chapter 2 and verse 9, Luke writes, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So we assume that there was some kind of a bright light that they're talking about. And the shepherds were actually terrified. Now, when we sing Christmas carols, we sing about the light. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Light's a big deal. There are these lyrics, yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. Anybody know the title of that song from which those lyrics are taken? Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Yeah, in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. That's a tough one. We'll have to sing that before the season is over. And then... The Gospel of John is a little different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They he doesn't do a lot of, of uh, chronological things, but he does write about the birth of Jesus in a more mystical way. And he says, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, when the writers, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Talk about light and connect Jesus with the light. It's a sweet story, but it's also a political story. Whenever they use light to describe the Messiah, they are making a political statement because the Caesar, who was in power at the time of Jesus' birth, was Augustus. We see that in Luke 2. And Augustus uh, had called himself the son of Apollo. And you might remember from your study of mythology that Apollo was the Roman god of the sun. So Augustus was considered the source of light, the reflection, if not the light. So the writers, when they say that Jesus is the light, they're challenging Caesar as the light. And they're asking the question, who is your light? Are you going to follow the light of Caesar, the light of Augustus, who leads with violence and fear and intimidation? Or are you going to follow the light of Jesus, who leads with gentleness and kindness and humility? Jesus was executed by the light of the empire, but he leads and he rules with a sense of gentleness. Another thing that underscores the political side and the theme of Jesus' birth being recorded is that the Roman Empire was symbolized by the eagle, a bird of majesty and power and authority. And uh, you get the idea when the Romans picked the eagle as their main bird, uh, favorite bird, that they wanted to be seen as this awesome, powerful fighting army that would always win, that no one would ever defeat it, that would chase their enemies down and that uh, they would always emerge victorious. And uh, their image was the eagle. When you think of a bird as it relates to Jesus, what bird comes to your mind? The dove, not an eagle. When Jesus was baptized, a dove appeared upon his shoulder. In the mythology of the selection of the Roman emperors, an eagle would appear on the emperor's shoulder. But their story writers of Jesus' life did not have an eagle land on Jesus' shoulder, but a dove. And they are making a really strong contrast. 
they are saying to their readers then in the first century and second century, and I think they're saying to us, we have a choice to make. We can either follow the way of the eagle or the way of the dove. We can either follow the, the light of Augustus or the light of, of Jesus, a symbol of peace. So the writers really, in this writing the story of Jesus' birth, it was kind of a, an F you to Augustus. And it was a challenge to them. And they were encouraging uh, almost a rebellion against Augustus. And no wonder that Jesus was crucified by the Roman government, executed because of the challenge that he gave. But more importantly, I think the writers are just calling us. How do we want to live our life? Do we want to live by violence and war and intimidation and fear and threats? Or do we want to live by gentleness and peace and humility? John, I said, is more of a mystical writer. And go back to John chapter 1, and he says, In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now, when I read that as a high schooler, I thought, I thought only Jesus was the light of Southern Baptist. I thought we were the only ones that had the light. Yeah. But all mankind. Jesus is the light of all mankind. All of humanity. I wonder if John is saying that the light that is Christ is in all of us. Fast forward a few chapters to John 8. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows my way of peace, my way of understanding, my way of humility, instead of the Roman way of violence and fear and intimidation, you're going to find the light of life if you follow that way. Hmm. So what does light do? Well, there's a light of warmth of a fake fire. You know, Chris says that we don't spend a lot of money on other things at the venues. That's about as cheap and cheesy as you can get <laughs> for a Christmas setting. And as we compare our Christmas decorations and programs, so to speak, with other churches, yeah, we're not even trying to compete. We just had rather spend money on the uh, needs of the community. But it does. It when we think of a light, we think of the warmth of a fire on a December night. There's a light bulb moment. Oh, I get it. The light bulb went off. There's a night light that keeps us from stubbling, stubbing our toes when I get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Years and years ago, when Mother and Dad were still around, we were at their house in Little Rock, and Denise and I were sleeping in the downstairs bedroom, and I didn't, when I went to bed, Denise was in bed, I, and I did not close the door, the bedroom door, all the way. I didn't leave it open all the way. It was halfway. And so that night, nature called, and I got up, and I, I tried to walk as fast as I could to the bathroom just around the corner. And when I was walking in the dark, I forgot about the door being halfway open, and I led with my head. And so my head hit the door, and I... I hit it with such force, it just kind of boom, it bounced me back into the bed right on top of Denise. And I just got so tickled at that that we just laughed all night long. And uh, we needed a nightlight. 
And that's the, that's the benefit of having a nightlight in our life. Oh, so many benefits of, of the lights. And, and Jesus says, I am that light. I am the light that guides you into a way of peace. I am the light that lights you in the darkness. I am the warmth of a, of a fireplace. I am the light is a light bulb moment. I will help you see things the way they are. I will help you see things the way I see them. That where we see people not as enemies, but as a part of humanity. And that we don't divide anymore, but we just see all of us as, as equal in that sense. Jesus is that light. But then we're pretty cool with Jesus being the light. And Jesus providing comfort and direction and a sense of peace to everybody. But then Jesus throws us a curveball. He says to us in Matthew 5, 14, you all are the light of the world. I'm the light of the world, and you are the light of the world. Is Jesus saying, you are what I am? I am the light. I can guide. I can bring warmth to this to people. I can bring guidance to people. And I can bring understanding and see things a, a new way. Is he saying that we have that power as well? Julian of Norwich, uh, who lived in the 14th century, a mystic that I love to read, said this, and you, you, it may cause you to squirm a little bit, but she said, we are not simply made by God, we are made of God. St. Catherine of Genoa in, in Italy lived in the 15th century. Another mystic said, my deepest me is God. I wonder if that's kind of what John is saying in chapter 9, of, or rather of chapter 1 and verse 9. This is the true light that coming into the world enlightens every person. That every human being has within them this light. Now, what would it be like if we actually believe that? And if I actually got up in the morning and say, I, I'm the light of the world. I can, I, I can give warmth to, a cold, to people who are cold. And I can give understanding to people who are confused. And I can help people see things differently. I am the light of the world. What would we be like if we actually believed that and acted that way? One of my favorite authors, and I encourage you to buy and read, John Philip Newell. He's a Celtic spiritual uh, leader, uh, lives in Ireland. And he was teaching on John 1-9. And in attendance at this conference was a Canadian Mohawk elder. And at the end of uh, Mr. Newell's uh, lecture, he opened the floor up for questions. And this Mohawk elder stood and he began to cry. And as he cried, he also said, as I have been listening to these themes, I have been wondering where I would be tonight. I've been wondering where my people would be tonight. I've been wondering where we would be as a Western world tonight if the mission that had come to us from Europe centuries ago, had come expecting to find light in us. Now, the elders was asking those present 
at that meeting, whether the violence and destruction that was caused by the European invasion of the New World, a violence and destruction that was often committed in the name of Jesus, might have been avoided if the newcomers, the Christians from Europe, had seen the natives as bearers of the divine light instead of depraved and godless. How we see people and how and the names that we give to people will lead to how we treat people. And when we call a person depraved and godless, when we slap a label of vermin on someone, it gives us the right to treat them horribly. What would have happened if we took John 1, 9 and saw that everybody has been enlightened, even people outside of our own denomination? It's a good question that the elder asked. It's a question for our day, too. We live in a, you know, a very polarized world, and we demonize our enemies, demonize people in the other political party, demonize people of other faiths. Just wonder if the solution to this polarity is John 1, 9, to recognize that everybody, even the person that disagrees with me, is enlightened. And I could probably learn something from that person. You know, my hope for my life is uh, I'm not getting any younger, is to be and to lead you to be and to see, to see people as bearers of that light and to see God in every one and in every place. And once we see God in people, once we see the light in people, we cannot help but love that which is right in front of us. So as light, you have the power to bring warmth, kindness, and comfort and peace to others. I'll tell you the story about Charlotte Maya. Her husband, Sam, died by suicide in the fall. He had had job stress, and she says everybody has job stress. He had had chronic back pain since an injury in high school. He had financial stress, and she said everybody who has, who has a job, who has kids, who has a dog, who has a mortgage, has financial stress. But he couldn't handle it for whatever reason. And when he took his own life on that October day, it left Charlotte a widow and a single mom with two boys ages six and eight. They made it through Halloween and Thanksgiving just fine, but they were dreading Christmas. There were mornings when Charlotte would walk her boys to school, come back home, crawl into bed, and not wanting to get out until her boys came home from college. She said that if I was able to help the kids with their homework and remember to feed the dog, then that day was a win. One December morning, the doorbell rang. Her six-year-old opened the door. No one was there. All there was there was a box, and inside the box was a gingerbread house kit. And on top of the box was a card that simply said, 
on the first day of Christmas. Who sent it? Well, the next night, the doorbell rang. Another package. This time there were snow, two snowmen coffee mugs, hot chocolate mugs, and inside each was a packet of hot chocolate. And another note that said the second day of Christmas. They didn't hear a car engine. They didn't see anyone scurry away. Well, on night, on night three, they turned on the porch light, turned off the living room light, and hid behind the front window. But they stayed there so long, they got hungry, they went to the kitchen just for a brief moment to eat something, fix dinner, and while they were gone, the doorbell rang, and they ran back, and there was another gift. Three candy canes and a note that said, on the third day of Christmas, who was it? Charlotte said it sounded like her good friend Karen. She asked Karen. She said, Karen said, nope, I wish it were me. That's a great thing to do. But it wasn't. So who was it? Charlotte was absolutely engulfed in a land of not knowing. Grief carries with it a lot of not knowing. She didn't know why her husband died by suicide. She didn't know the despair that had sunk so deeply into his soul. She didn't know what in his life seemed so impossible to deal with. But she says this, there was one thing I did know. In those dark days of intense grief, somebody was shining a light our way with a simple, powerful message. You are seen and you are loved. Over the next few weeks, they received nightly gifts. They were small, fruit, gum, candy. She didn't know who that elf was, but she didn't really need to know. She was okay with it. It was a strange feeling, she says, to be on one hand just torn apart by grief and darkness, but on the other hand be drawn toward light and hope. Well, the deliveries continued until it was day 12. What would be on the porch on day 12? They went out to eat that night, and they came back home and pulled into the driveway, and they looked at the porch. It looked like Santa's sleigh had just vomited all over the porch, <laughs> just overflowing with gifts. And on top of the gifts was a card that said, Merry Christmas. That was 15 years ago. She still doesn't know who the secret Santa was. But she says, I'm glad I don't know. And not knowing became my favorite part. That mysterious light pushing its way into our ineffable darkness. It's not a miracle. It's not magic. It's just generous, selfless human love. It was someone who took John 1, 9 literally. Who took Matthew 5, 14 literally. Who they knew, I am the light of the world, and I can shine in someone's darkness. I can bring warmth to a coldness of grief. You are the light of the world. Get up in the morning. You are the light of the world. Say to yourself, I am the light. I have light, and I can be light to other people. That's a huga 
Christmas.